Hey, I'm Natasha Crane. And I'm Elisa Childers. Welcome to Unshaken Faith, where we equip you to live your Christian faith boldly in a chaotic culture. Today, we're talking about the frequently heard claim in progressive Christian circles that Jesus was woke. Though you'll hear that from a lot of different people, we're going to look at a recent article from popular progressive author John Pavlovitz as just one specific example to see how some people come to that conclusion that Jesus was woke. And we're going to discuss whether that's a conclusion that makes biblical sense. But first, announcements and our unshaken tips of the week. Well, we just had a wonderful conference in Dayton, Ohio. We're so thankful to all of you who made it out for that. If you couldn't make it out for that one, we're going to be in Southern California on May 6th and in uh, Nashville on November 4th this next fall. So go to unshakenconference.com for more information. And we're also going to be releasing the location of the fourth date here pretty soon. So unshakenconference.com for more info on all of that. And my tip of the week has to do with defining phrases and words. So when you're interacting with someone who might be talking about, let's just take this phrase social justice. I think every Christian wants to be just. We want to practice justice, right? And we want that to uh, extend into a social scenario, right? We want to be just with each other and in a social way. But what we have to understand is that when people use phrases like social justice, these phrases have very technical definitions in academia that have trickled down and gone into the wild. So when people are talking about social justice, they're typically not talking about biblical justice, which starts with the nature and character of God. Of course, justice is one of God's attributes. It's virtually the same thing as his righteousness, right? And so we have to start there as Christians to even know how that's going to relate in a social scenario. But when people in culture use social justice, that ha- that comes from the critical social theories, which is really kind of rooted in a, a view of justice that would be more along the lines of Marxism, which would be like an equal outcome for everyone, which is really not the definition of biblical justice. And I think that's where so much confusion can happen. So define terms. And I would just say, let's not use phrases that have meanings in uh, culture that are anti-biblical. Let's use biblical words like justice or biblical justice, not social justice. That's so true. It's so hard sometimes to not actually use the language that everyone else is using, but sometimes we have to make a conscious effort so that we can take back some terms that actually have a deeper biblical meaning. I love that. Well, my tip for this week is to pick your conversations wisely on social media. I think that a lot of people now that I see will just say, you know, don't have online conversations at all because they're just never fruitful. Um, You know, it just seems like people end up bickering and minds never change. And so people just want to stay out of it. And I do understand that. But I would encourage you that if you feel like you have some wherewithal to be able to do this, there are some really good opportunities to engage online and to get people thinking in ways that you might not be able to in person. But here's the thing, and this is really what I wanted to point out. Oftentimes, the reason for engaging is not for the reason you think. It's 
it's the decision to engage because you know that other people are looking on in social media. It's not just about thinking that maybe you can change an individual's mind as you're engaging with them, but realizing that this could be a really good opportunity for others to see a biblical response. You're never going to know when you choose to leave a gracious comment how many people see that who maybe had a misunderstanding about something or maybe they thought the same way that the person did who made the comment originally. And with your gentle correction, your gentle offering of truth, maybe they said, okay, I see. I see where that was wrong. So don't be afraid to engage online just because sometimes people say, oh, you know, nothing ever happens. You don't know what happens when people see comments that you'll never hear about. And I've actually heard from quite a a few people who have said that that has become something true in their own lives. So I just encourage you to make a difference when you can and knowing that you might not know how that happened. That's so good. And that's my motivation too, Natasha. I, I interact very little in the comment section, but when I do, I'm never doing it to try to change the mind of the original poster. I'm doing it for the people who are looking on who might be thinking, oh, do we have an answer to this? So that was really good. Well, as Natasha said, we're going to take a look today at an article by uh, John Pavlovitz called The Woke Liberal Leftist Movement of Jesus, in which he claims Jesus was a progressive, woke, and a heretic. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. But as a starting point, just to define terms, a dictionary definition of woke is to be aware of and actively attentive to issues of social justice. Of course, Jesus was aware of and actively attentive to matters of justice in society, but woke isn't just meant to convey someone who cares about justice. It actually implies a very specific, politically liberal view of what justice means and what it should entail. So to say that Jesus is woke is to say that he shares that specific view. That's a really important distinction, and that's what we want to look at. So without reading the whole article and responding point by point, which we'd really like to, but we only have 15 (laughs) minutes, Natasha, we'll take some representative (laughs) quotes. So uh, here's one to begin with. Uh, Quote, Uh, Jesus started a revolutionary underground movement of people of the street, not a top-down theocracy of wealth and cloistered privilege. His sermons didn't hearken back to some mythical glorious time in the past. He instead announced that the new kingdom had now come, a new counterintuitive way of living and of being in the world marked by goodness and empathy, end quote. So just a couple comments and I'll throw it over to you, Natasha. I think the thing to keep at the forefront of this conversation is Jesus' primary mission. When Jesus went around with a message, it was repent and believe. Repent and believe was Jesus' message. And yes, he interacted with the poor. He interacted with the marginalized, as you might call them. He interacted with all sorts of different people. And that's the first comment I would make on here. This wasn't just an underground movement of people on the street or simply the marginalized. It certainly included a lot of the outcasts of society, no doubt. But there were Pharisees. There were people in powerful positions. There were people who had uh, more financial means than others, uh, even throughout after Jesus. Jesus' death and resurrection, of course, we know uh, Paul's missionary journey is being funded by certain women. And so there were people who had more financial means than others. So there was a bit of a mix of that. Of course, you know, they did end up uh, sharing a lot of things in common, as we see in the book of Acts. But that wasn't instituted by government. That was voluntary And also because when people became Christians, a lot of times they would be rejected from their social environments and they had to be taken care of by the Christians. So that's sort of my initial thoughts on that quote. What do you think, Natasha? 
You're, you're so right. You know, when you say about, you know, Jesus was preaching repent, I've been for my Bible study this year, I'm really focusing on the gospels and I'm just going to read each one five times in a row looking for different things. Mm. And then I'll go back through them. And so I'm currently on my third read of Matthew. And it's so interesting as you go through it to really just look from the beginning on when you're talking about, when it's talking about Jesus and what he was preaching, you know, you can't even get to this social justice warrior Jesus from mm -hmm. actually what he says. And I've tried to read the text that way to say, okay, how are people getting to this? That they think that Jesus is just all about what's going on in society, the horizontal aspects of social welfare, basically. And you can't get there. It is a continual call to repentance. It is, yes, he's doing all those things, like you said, along the way, of course, but it is about repentance. And so, you know, what, what's interesting about Pavlovitz is he says that, you know, that, that Jesus announced that the kingdom had come. Well, yes, Jesus announced the kingdom had come, but that's because he was a Jewish Messiah. The Messiah wasn't someone who was just going to come and live in the world a bit differently. And, you know, now he was going to be doing things extra good and extra empathetically. Mm -hmm. He was coming and he was the Messiah who is God himself. And his goodness is a byproduct of who he is. It wasn't his primary purpose. But progressive Christians tend to re reduce Jesus to a good moral example. And I think that's exactly what's going on here. It's not about Jesus coming to announce he's the Messiah and making claims to deity. It's Jesus is coming to show us how to live. It's yeah. the very reductionist view of who Jesus is. And you see that right here at the beginning of his article. Right. So the next quote we want to look at is Jesus was scandalous to the religious establishment because he declared that God was not just the God of the temple, but of the gutter as well, that the beggars and the priests were of equal worth. Two millennia before many of his professed followers would defend their own bigotry by saying that all lives matter, Jesus simply lived in a way that proved they did. Okay, this this one really really troubles me because you know, and I think I mentioned this even in one of our other episodes that when we're talking about the religious establishment and we're talking about the use of that word, those who are woke, as we're talking about, tend to hate any kind of establishment because it represents the existing power structures. So that's one of those key words that you can listen for something that's been established according to critical theory, which is the dominant underlying philosophy of activists today. Oppression happens due to social structures that are in place. So the powerful are resented. So it really fits the woke narrative well that Jesus was critical of the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. But here's the thing. Jesus never said that their problem was holding power. He didn't say it was because they right. held firmly to specific non-negotiable doctrines. It was because their hearts were in the wrong place. They were self-righteous. They were hypocritical. That doesn't mean that religious leaders in general, the quote unquote establishment should be resented or are always wrong. So if they didn't function as though everyone was equal, like he's saying, that's a problem with them not properly executing God's truth, not with them being in positions of power and leadership. Well, and the thing I just that really stood out to me about this is that Jesus was scandalous to the religious establishment because he was claiming to be the God of the Old Testament. I mean, he said before Abraham was, I am. That was putting himself in line with the I am statement that Yahweh said to Moses at the burning bush. And I mean, this is why they tore their clothes and they wanted to have him executed for blasphemy. Um, you know, they certainly thought he was a heretic. I'll give that to, to Pavlovitz. They certainly thought that. But um, that doesn't mean that he was, which we'll get to that in a moment. But um, let's read this next one. It says, he preached not about the poor pulling themselves up by their bootstraps, 
but about the well-off giving up everything so that they could be cared for. Now, I follow, he had a little footnote on this one, and I followed it because I thought, what's he talking about there? Because when you think about Jesus' comments about the poor, most often he was talking about spiritually poor, poor in spirit, people who were um, not in a physical situation of being poor, but a spiritual situation of being poor. But I did follow his footnote, and he's talking about the rich young ruler, of course, where Jesus says, you know, if you want to be perfect, sell all you have and give it to the poor and follow me. Well, in that scenario, Jesus didn't require that of everybody who followed him. That was what he required of him because he was identifying an idol in that guy's heart. He, Jesus knew that his wealth and his uh, possessions meant more to him than God ever would or following Jesus ever would. So he was exposing that idol in his heart, but that's certainly not prescriptive for every Christian uh, or else, I I mean, has Pavlovitz sold all of his possessions and given them to the poor? I'd, I'd, I'd be curious to know that if that's the footnote he's giving. I'm going to guess that he hasn't. Um, and of course, you do see people in the church having personal property. And then, of course, you know, somebody would sell a field to give to others to make sure that they they had enough. But um, that, that would just be my initial comments on that one. What did you think about that one? Well, the first thing that I thought of when I read this is that this is just a very straightforward political statement by Pavlovitz. So when you're talking about this idea that the poor should just pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, you're kind of talking about more conservative politics. This is a characterization, and I'm not saying this is accurate or not accurate, but that's a common characterization of conservatives, that conservatives just expect that people are going to make their own way. And he's saying that Jesus says, well, you should give up everything so that the poor can be cared for. But, you know, just like you said about the rich young ruler, this wasn't a statement of, okay, government come and take everything from the rich young ruler so that you can give it Mm -hmm. to everyone else. This has nothing to do with the government. And someone might say, well, maybe he doesn't mean it in that way. But I actually went on his, where he posted this article on Facebook originally, and you could see all the comments from people and they were all about you know, conservative Christians don't understand Jesus was a left-wing socialist. That was an actual comment. So people do take this as an indication that Jesus would have been a socialist because he wants the poor people to be cared for. But Jesus never made any kind of statement about, therefore, you should give everything to the government to redistribute your wealth. And that's kind of the assumption in all of this as he's talking about it. So like you're saying, the rich young ruler, the the issue is where his heart was. The problem is not necessarily that people have money. Jesus says that it's hard for rich people to enter Mm -hmm. the kingdom of heaven because that's about where their heart is. You cannot serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. So that's, it's about something completely different than what Pavlovitz is using it to mean here. Well, that brings us to another quote. He says, history will show that when the elderly, the sick, and the vulnerable showed up in their need, it was the progressives, the Muslims, the Jews, the humanists, and the atheists, not the conservative Christians who cared for them as Jesus would have. This is just demonstrably false, right? It's all throughout history. It's been the Christians that have started the charities, the hospitals. I mean, I just, I I, I hear this narrative repeated, and this is just a good example of when people repeat things often enough, people can actually start to believe them. And I just, I, I think this is just demonstrably false. It's been the Christians all throughout history who have done these kinds of things. Now, maybe they haven't always done it along the lines of the definitions and the parameters that have been set by the 
the critical social theories and critical social justice, right? So in critical social justice, it's not enough to maybe take a homeless person off the street, help them get back on their feet, you know, help them get clothing and a job and all that and, and be showing them kindness. That doesn't fit in the narrative of the, of the, institutions of power. You have to be, you know, virtue signaling on Twitter to bring down these institutions of power. It's not, it, it, so it, when you do like personal acts of kindness and charity in critical social justice, that's not actually considered uh, what, that's not what they're talking about. Yeah, it is. It is very much a view of government specifically. And he, he does talk about that later in the article too. He says that uh, that conservative Christians have a selectively small government and a tiny hearted church. And so mm. for him, caring for people is about your view of how the government should get involved. It's not about necessarily where your heart is. It is about how you are going to serve others. And you should, by his logic, be using the government to do that. The one thing I would add to, to that, Elisa, is just, you know, we can acknowledge that people of any worldview can love others as Jesus would sure. have in terms of helping people and bringing them up from where they are and not leaving them in, in terrible situations. And, you know, that that is something that anyone from any worldview can do. But we have to understand that for him, Christianity is basically entirely about social issues. Because mm -hmm. like we talked about earlier, if you reduce Jesus to basically just the ultimate human, he's just a really great moral example, then all you have left is, okay, well, what do you do for society? What did Jesus do for society as this great moral example? And that's what we should do. So I think that a lot of times progressive Christians take the second greatest commandment really seriously to love your neighbor, but mm -hmm. they completely ignore or trivialize the greatest commandment to love God, which is what frames the definition for loving your neighbor. Mm -hmm. But by specifying, by specifying that other people of other worldviews do that better than conservative Christians specifically, he's suggesting that your view of the size of government and what government does for society is how well you love mm. your neighbor. Well, yeah, the, I mean, that's it. it. That's the bullseye right there, because, you know, there was actually sociological research released a couple years ago by George Yancey in a book called One Faith No Longer, where he assessed the political and religious views of progressive Christians and conservative Christians. And what he found was that although a lot of people, there's this narrative that conservative Christians are more political than progressives, what he discovered was that uh, conservative Christians actually start with their theology and then their politics flows out of their theology, whereas with progressive Christians, they start with their pol politics and then their theology flows out of their politics. And I think you just articulated that perfectly there, Natasha. Well, thanks everyone for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe to the Natasha Crane podcast and the Elisa Childers podcast for more long form episodes. We go deeper into topics like these, but for now, let's remember that as Christians, we have a firm foundation to stand on that as Psalm 61 puts it is our rock and salvation, our fortress where we will never be shaken. We'll